What a wonderful month of uh, camp meeting we had. Amen. Amen. Hopefully most of you were able to be here to enjoy it. The worship services, the speakers were very inspiring. Dr. Bob, I don't know if I had a chance to say this last month, but thank you so much for all that you did to put all that together. Yeah. Such a blessing. And I selfishly appreciate camp meeting because it does give me a break for about a month. So thank you. Um, so I have not been up here since the last Sabbath of July. And if you were here, you may remember that I made a commitment to fast from two things on that last Sabbath in July. The first was coffee, and the second was YouTube Reels. Yeah, I know, it's hard, right? It had to be something hard. Um, and I am proud to say that I can stand here before you and say I have kept both those commitments. Yeah. I'm, I must confess, I cheated a little bit and watched some reels on Instagram. But it wasn't on purpose. You know, you just get on there. Sometimes I'm even doing church work on there, you know? And then reels just pop up and you get sucked in. But I, I didn't stay long. I didn't linger long. <laughs> if you weren't with us on that Sabbath and you're wondering why in the world was that something I, I talked about, I invited some of you to maybe fast from a few things. We studied the parable of the rich fool, which teaches us, among many other things, that too much of a good thing can actually bring us less joy, less fulfillment and actually can contribute a lot more to our anxiety and things like depression. So I decided to fast from two things that can be good. And yes, I still think coffee can be good when consumed in small amounts and without any sweeteners. I have enjoyed reading the many different messages that all of, some of you have sent me in response to that sermon about why either coffee is good for you or bad for you. And I, I can see that you can make a good case for both. But my particular issue was that I was consuming way too much of it. It had become such an unhealthy habit, it was negatively affecting my life. And I have not had a sip of coffee or any other caffeinated beverage since that sermon. And I am feeling pretty good. It was brutal for the first couple of weeks, but I am feeling good today. Thank you, yeah. You may want to save your applause because tomorrow we're going to Starbucks in the morning <laughs> to break it. <laughs> but only one cup a day from here on out. That's the goal. In fact, in all my years of pastoring, I think you will be hearing my very first caffeine-free sermon. So if the sermon is really bad today, then that could be why. But the point of that, <laughs> Phil, I'm glad you're with me. But the point of that message way back in the end of July wasn't just about fasting from too much of a good thing. It was about making an investment in the best thing, our relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope you came away with that most of all. And that has been a really special time over this past month, the times in which I would normally drink my coffee, I was spending time in prayer. Prayer about you, prayer about my family, prayer about ministry. 
It was a wonderful experience. It wasn't just to be about tearing something negative down, but building something better up. Not just uprooting something harmful, although that's important, but also planting something beautiful. And I am sharing this with you because I think it kind of serves as a decent introduction to this book we are about to study in our new series, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the most intriguing books in the Old Testament. Scholars can rarely agree on how the book was put together. The events aren't always in chronological order. Sometimes it's confusing. And the book pulls no punches. It does not sugarcoat anything. It talks about judgment and suffering and tears. Many of you know that Jeremiah is also known as what? The weeping prophet. But it is also a book of grace and hope, and some of the most precious promises we have in Scripture are found in Jeremiah. And one of the central themes and one of the main roles, tasks of Jeremiah is this idea of uprooting and planting, tearing the unhealthy, harmful down to build and plant something healthy and good. So for the next five weeks, we will be studying this intriguing book together, or just a few chapters of it. It's a very long book. We're just going to spend five weeks on it. Hopefully understanding better this idea of how to uproot and to plant. And it is also the exact same chapters that are being studied in the Growing Together Sabbath School curriculum. So a lot of uh, your kids in Sabbath school and the parent class that meets here in the Garden Chapel, the disciple class, they're studying the, those same chapters. So we're excited to be on this together. And we begin at the beginning, chapter one, God's call of Jeremiah. It's just 19 verses. So I thought I would just read the entire chapter as we start together. Join me if you like in whatever format you have the word in front of you. I believe the words will also be on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the, re, of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. So now you get a picture of kind of the timeline for Jeremiah's ministry. You can tell that there was some good times in there and a lot of not so good times in his ministry. Starting in verse 4 now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. 
The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Just a side note here, the almond tree is one of the earliest to bloom in spring. So this is kind of a metaphor. They would often watch the almond tree to, to know when spring is happening. So God's saying, I'm going to watch to make sure you're fulfilling my call here. Then in verse 14, then the Lord said to me, from the north, disaster, sorry, go back to, to 13. Uh, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see now? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me and burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Amen. It's quite the calling that Jeremiah receives. I don't know if it's a calling that I would like to get, would you? It's obvious that Jeremiah has some hesitation about it as well. But we know, of course, that he will agree. He will answer that call. He will be faithful, as hard as it is, in doing what God commands him to do. And I want to know how. How in the world does this young man, many scholars think he is just a teenager, how does he have the courage to answer this call? I'd like to suggest at least that some of his courage to answer this call comes from the awareness of three realities. Three realities that God makes clear to Jeremiah here in chapter 1. And that starts for, first with an awareness of his value to God. I love that verse in verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before he gets into the nitty-gritty of, of everything you're going to be doing, he starts with this. What an incredible statement. God says, I have a plan for your life. I had even before you were conceived, before, Jeremiah, you accomplished anything, developed any skills or leadership capabilities, before you even drew your first breath. I appointed you. I set you apart. What a picture of grace. And more than that, it says he knows him. Many of you already may be aware that that verb to know in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, is not just about being in acquaintance with somebody. No, it indicates a deep relationship, a very close one, as in the case of husband and wife. What a crazy, awesome thought. God intimately knows Jeremiah even before he is conceived. What a picture of his value to God. 
Have you ever thought about how God knew you intimately? Not just set you apart for something, but knew you intimately before you were born. That before you ever accomplished anything, did anything of value in the eyes of those around you, you were the apple of his eye. Sometimes I think it is hard to grasp how that could be true because of maybe where we are in our life today. Maybe because of some mistakes we made or because of the way some people have mistreated us or maybe because like those conversations you mentioned in worship, Kathy, we don't feel like we have done enough, been good enough. And it causes us to doubt that someone could value us like that. I've shared with you before that back in our church that we were at before coming to Calamesa in Ohio, we used to have a prison ministry. You know, we have the state penitentiary there in Mansfield, Ohio, plus the county correctional facility. So, you know, you've got to serve the needs of your community where you're at. And, and that was a big need in our community. So we had a prison ministry. And one of the elders in our church that really was the one that helped to coordinate that ministry was leading out in the Bible class that day there in the prison chapel. Uh, There's maybe about 45 or 50 um, inmates that were there. And he did an illustration that I have seen used so many times. I've probably used it. I don't remember. But I do remember even being a kid and sitting on these very uh, steps as a children's story. And I don't know if it was Jerry Kapitsky or who, but somebody did this illustration before where they take out a, a large you know, a donation of a, a bill, right? Maybe it's a $50 bill or a $100 bill, and they, they do all kinds of things to it. They crumple it up and stomp on it and make it dirty, and, and they still pull it out and say, do, you know, do you want this bill still? Do you think it's still valuable? Have you guys ever seen that illustration? I used to think that's a cool illustration, but then I saw it done in the context of prison ministry, and it got whole new life for me. So here it is, my friend, this elder in our church, he pulls out a $100 bill and immediately has the tension of the entire room. He says, how many of you here today would like this $100 bill? Every hand went up in that chapel. He had everyone's attention. He crumpled it in his hands and tore it a bit, and then he said, how many of you would still like this $100 bill? Every hand went up. Then he actually spat on it, threw it on the floor, and rubbed it into that dirty prison uh, floor, picked it back up, and he says, how many would you like, how many of you would like it now? Every hand went up. Then he concluded by saying something along the lines of this. Now, for many of you, this has been your experience in life. Maybe this has been what your father did to you. You've been mistreated, abused, misused. You were told you wouldn't amount to anything. You've done some bad things yourself. You've sinned. You've done some crimes. You're paying for them. You've been beaten. You've been torn. You've been dirty. But you have never lost one cent of value to God. There was not a dry eye in that room. Big, burly dudes with tattoos all over, just weeping. And there were some incredible, courageous commitments for God made that day, all because they were made aware of their value to God. And then there is a second thing, second reality that God makes Jeremiah aware of here in chapter one. And that is an awareness that God's calls are not easy. God says, I'm going to appoint you to tear down, destroy, overthrow. Great. Thanks, God. 
You're going to tell them how, like a pot of boiling water, the nations from the north are going to come down and defeat them, and they're going to go into exile. Oh, wonderful. I've been wanting to preach about that. You're going to have to stand against all the kings and officials and priests of Judah, all these important people, as a teenager, and tell them this. They're going to oppose you. They're going to fight against you. Wonderful. God's calls are not easy. Now, maybe that sounds like something that would shrink Jeremiah's courage. And I don't know, maybe it did a little bit. But I like to think it would be very helpful to hear that honesty from God. At least now he has some clarity as to what he is signing up for. At least now when those difficult moments do come, he can find some comfort knowing that this is what God said would happen. I'm not a failure. I'm just being faithful to the call. I think this is so important for us to grasp in the day and age that we live in because we live in a culture that that just really strives for affluence and we, we cherish ease and comfort. And when hardship comes along, we are typically surprised by it. We think something must be wrong. It's not supposed to be this way. It's supposed to be easy. Ministry is supposed to be easy. Church life is supposed to be easy. And when it's not easy, we think something is wrong. We're failing. God's not working. The truth is, God's call, God's work is not easy. Jesus said to us, if you ever want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Truth is, God's callings are not easy. I can remember when I uh, called my dad to officially tell him that I was going to answer God's call to be a pastor. I thought his reaction would be something like, oh, Darren, I'm so glad to hear that. Can't wait for you to get started. It's just going to be this wonderful adventure. That's what I thought he would sound like on the other end of the line. Now, he was happy to hear that, but his reaction was a little bit more tempered. He said something like, well, that's nice, Darren, that that's That's where you're sensing God calling you. But let me tell you what it's really like. And for the next 20 minutes, he told me about how hard, how grueling sometimes it can be. Yes, it's filled with incredible joy and meaning, but it is often stressful and overwhelming. It's going to be hard on your family at times. You're going to feel like you can't be there enough for them, that you can't be there enough for your church family. Preaching week in, week out, year after year will take a toll on you physically, emotionally, mentally. And it just kept going on and on and on. I couldn't get a breath in about how hard it was. You think that would have deterred me, but it actually did quite the opposite because it gave me such clarity about what I was headed into. It wasn't just some glamorous picture of it. It was the reality ahead. Lots of joy, lots of fulfillment, but it's hard. And I got to tell you, and church family, this is not to say that I don't love pastoring you. You're a wonderful church family, you know, not to say that, but just like any of your careers or jobs or parenting, it's stressful. It's hard at times, right? And I don't know about you, but whenever I get to those types of moments when it's hard, I think back. Well, I guess you wouldn't think back to this. You didn't have the conversation with my dad, but maybe you think about something else. 
But for me, I think back to that conversation with my dad, and it helps me not to get discouraged. It reminds me I'm right where God wants me to be, doing exactly what I've been called to do. Ever had a parent or a friend or a mentor be real like that with you? As you were thinking about being a teacher or a nurse or a contractor or a social worker, a doctor, an administrator, and someone sat you down and said, that's great, but let me tell you what you're getting into. Let me tell you what it's like. And it gave you real clarity moving forward or strength when you encountered the reality of that job later on. I am, for one, thankful that God is honest with us. I think it helps increase our courage rather than shrink it. And then I think there's a third reality. A third reality God makes Jeremiah aware of, and it's the most important one of all, I think. We've talked about it already. John talked about it awesomely in the children's story. The awareness of God's presence. Don't be afraid of them, he said. I am with you and will rescue you. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. What could be more powerful, more comforting, more encouraging, more sustaining than God with us? God doesn't give us a, a philosophy or a strategy or special tools to get us through tough times. He gives us himself. There isn't anything or anyone more powerful than God. I struggle. I don't know if you have this struggle too. I struggle with saying the exact kind of vocabulary as Jeremiah does in verse 6. Do you struggle with that? You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about phrases like, I don't. Or, I'm too, like he says, I don't know how to speak, or I'm too young to do this. In fact, I got a lot more that I use than Jeremiah uses here. I can't is one of my favorites. I can't get through this, Lord. <laughs> I'm not is another good one. I'm not qualified for this. In fact, my personal favorite, the one I use the most, my go-to is I only. I only have a little amount of resources, God. I only know a little bit about this thing you're calling me to do. I only have a small amount of time. I only have a limited amount of strength, etc., etc. Do you ever hear those kinds of phrases enter into your conversations with God? Good news, family, is that our I don'ts or I can'ts or I only's are no match for the presence of God. With God with us, our onlys are enough. I think an awareness of these three realities had to contribute to Jeremiah's courage in answering God's call. And I think an awareness of these realities gives us courage to answer God's call today. And maybe it's important to pause here as we are winding down the message uh, to specify a few things about God's call for us. I think it's important to recognize, first of all, that our call is going to look a lot different than Jeremiah's, right? He was a prophet. We are not. Our journey and tasks will not be the same as his. We, we should be careful as we study this whole book how we apply all of his experiences to our own life and our own day and age. 
I think that's important to remember. There's principles we can apply, but it's not the exact same experience. Second of all, I think all of us do have a calling. In fact, I think all of us have the exact same calling. You may disagree. Maybe you think it's, it's kind of to be looked at differently than that. But I think that we have incorrectly viewed our calling. Maybe more specifically, we have confused our calling with our career or our calling with our occupation. Your occupation isn't your calling. I guess I may have implied that earlier in the message when I used my feeling of being called to the ministry as an illustration, but I didn't mean to imply that the role of a pastor is the calling. It is the mission you do in that role that is the calling. I mean, I can hold the position of pastor and not be answering God's call on my life. You could hold the position of a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, a custodian, landscaper, contractor, an accountant, all noble professions. You could be gifted at it, suited for it, but you could also not be answering God's call while you're in those roles. Our jobs are not our mission. They are just the context in which we live out our mission. And I think all of us believers have the same mission. There's many places in Scripture that describe that mission, but maybe one of the clearest, I think, is found in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our true calling, to be Christ's ambassadors. I think that's what Linda Clare discovered. I came across an article she had written in a Christian magazine recently. She was talking about how she had struggled for many years on on figuring out what God wanted her to do for a career. That she, she thought that, that she had to find her the right career because that was her calling in her life. She also had some tough family circumstances that made it hard for her to pursue higher education, to kind of pursue lots of options at all. So what she ended up doing was taking a job as a child care provider. Wasn't what she thought she'd be doing, but she had an experience there that changed her view about her job and God's call in her life. I'd like to read in her own words from her article how she describes it. She said, working as a child care provider required lots of patience and long hours. I was often tempted to complain about my job or quit. Although I didn't know what work God wanted me to do, I was sure it must be something other than babysitting. Then one day, a father came to pick up his three-year-old, and he commented to me on his way out. By the way, we noticed that you taught Casey to pray. We want to let you know that she prays all the time at home now, before our meals, before she sleeps. She even prayed for me when I told her I was feeling sick. It's had such a huge impact on my wife and I, we are looking for a church to attend. 
In that moment, she concludes, God's direction and calling suddenly became clear. Now when others ask what I do for a living, I smile and say, I just babysit for the Lord. I can see why people may view their career as their calling. Sure, maybe that's where your passion is. Maybe it is a good fit for you. But really, our true calling is to be Christ's ambassador no matter what our job is. And now that you are aware of those same three realities as Jeremiah, I pray you will find the courage to answer God's call. Let's pray. Lord, that is our prayer, our commitment today. We surrender all. We give ourselves fully to you, to your call. Thank you, Lord, for making us aware of these important realities to give us the courage to answer it. In your name we pray, amen.